is not my favorite topic, I will say that. Um, I do want to say this, though. Uh, this topic is um, very broad, and it has many, many layers to it. And even as I was just kind of beginning to unfold it, um, there was so much. So I'm only going to really focus in kind of on a certain aspect of it, but um, I just can't simply cover it all today. I tried, and everybody's like, no, that's too much stuff. So, <laughs> But um, I really just want to um, just start off to get the conversation started because it's just such an important thing um, to talk about. Um, so let's pray. Jesus, Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you. God, for your healing in our hearts and in our lives, Lord God. Father, we thank you that your desire, even in this topic, is that we would be made whole through you, Lord God. And, and I pray that our hearts would be open to just receive um, what it is that you're speaking to us, Lord God. Father, even if this doesn't directly apply to us, God, we may know somebody who needs to hear this word or needs this encouragement. So God, I pray that even as we walk through this journey this morning, God, that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say so that we can encourage others along your uh, path of healing in this, Lord. So we just pray that you'd be with us, Lord. God, I pray that you'd guide and direct my words. And um, I just pray for blessing on the other side of this. And in your name we pray. Amen. So um, the sermon text that I'm actually starting, uh, that I'm going to focus on today is from John 8 verses 1 through 11, and it's actually the adulterous woman. Um, I'm reading it from the Passion Translation. So um, it says, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then, in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So he stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd, one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. So I wanted to kind of break this down a little bit to take a look at just the adulterous woman and some facts that we can kind of get from this story. Um, 
And the first thing is that she possibly um, was young, and that's based off of Deuteronomy 22 through 20, 23 through 24. And that's the adultery law um, in there. It gives four different adultery laws. And you'll see that um, if a woman and a man are caught in the city and she doesn't scream out, then they're both to be stoned. And so this is what it's referring to. Um, the other fact is that she was caught in the act. And she possibly could have been set up because the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. And um, in the Bible, there are so many different um, examples of rape, of sexual abuse, of incest. And it can actually be quite overwhelming as you start reading, like, oh, my goodness. Even myself, as I began to study, was like, wow, some of these heroes of faith, like, I I didn't think of that accusation against them. And so um, because I didn't really think about it, I just kind of skipped over those details. I just felt like the Lord was just saying, well, like, let's take a deeper look at this. And so I just wanted to give some clarity. So I'm going to give some definitions um, just so that we kind of understand all the aspects of abuse and of rape. And so the first definition is of rape, and that is unlawful sexual activity and usually sexual intercourse carried out forcibly or under threat of inner injury against a person's will or with a person who is beneath a certain age or incapable of valid consent because of mental illness, mental deficiency, intoxication, unconsciousness, or deception. And sexual abuse actually has a very similar definition. And that is the infliction of sexual contact upon a person by forcible compulsion, the engaging in sexual contact, contact with a person who is below a specified age or who is incapable of giving consent because of age or mental or physical incapacity, the crime of engaging in or inflicting sexual abuse. And I also wanted to include um, molestation in this too um, because I think a lot of times this takes place and we don't really know how to define it sometimes. And it's to annoy, disturb, or persecute, especially with hostile intent or injurious effect. To make annoying sexual advances to, especially to force physical and usually sexual content on. And I've also included incest because it is in the Bible and I think it's something that often gets overlooked. And that is sexual intercourse between persons so closely related that they are forbidden by law to marry. So a mother with a son or a father with a daughter or siblings. And um, I didn't have these defined, but two other things that I wanted to mention as I'm talking about this, because I feel it's important that we have an understanding of all different aspects, is um, because it. Uh, I'll show later as I go on just kind of how it rolls into it. But um, another term that is... I had never heard before, before doing all of this study, was sexual damage. So it's not actually um, abuse per se, but it might be just that you're exposed to something as a child. Maybe it's immodesty, or maybe you played doctor as a child and you were touched inappropriately, something to that extent, um, which can later affect 
um, you. And then also the other thing which I think is really important is um, sexual imprinting. And this can refer to the first time experience, the first time of having um, intercourse or being exposed to something sexually, um, but then it's also repeated. So this could be where an addiction to like masturbation or pornography um, may start. So I just wanted to give kind of those definitions because sometimes we just think abuse and we may not understand fully, especially if something's happened to us or maybe we don't understand why we act a certain way in certain things. So um, let's move on to some more information about the adulterous woman. We see that in verse 3, she was brought in by the Pharisees and the religious scholars. She was made to stand in the middle of the crowd. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty mortifying. Um, she may not have been fully dressed. We don't know. It says she was caught in the act, and they just drug her in. Um, we also see that she was brought in alone. So I don't know about you guys, but when I read the scripture, I think, well, where's the man? Like, according to the Moses the law, the adultery law too of Moses, they were both supposed to be stoned. It wasn't just the woman. And if you read through them, you, you'll see too that it's not just the woman in any case of at least those four. Um, and so the kind of the thought is that either he escaped or he may have been a person of high ranking, so they didn't want to, you know, defame him. So... So that, I feel like that's an important question that we have to ask, like, well, why is she the only one? So that's what also kind of drew me to the conclusion that um, it may not have been um, just that she was being adulterous. We also see that she was not referred to as a prostitute, so it's not like it was a, con a continual behavior. So, um, And then she also had to wait uh, a while um, while well, all her um, actions were being declared publicly in front of everyone. Um, one of the books that I read in preparation for this was by David T. Lamb. It's called Prostitutes and Polygamists. And um, he had some great points, just kind of on the feelings and the emotions of what she may have been going through as she's sitting there before all of these people. The first one was um, abandoned because she was... Um, has been deserted by her beloved partner, right? Like, there's nobody to defend her. He's gone. She's all by herself. She may have felt humiliated because she wasn't properly attired to be the star attraction in adultery trial, right? That would be humiliating. She may have felt vulnerable because she stands before a group of religious leaders not known for compassion. They were ready to kill her. Like, they didn't care it wasn't about what she did. It was about trapping Jesus. So they were willing to sacrifice her to make their point. So that's <laughs> pretty crazy to think about. Um, and she also might have felt um, frightened because she waits to hear about her fate from the men who are eager to stone her to death. And at this point, she probably, I don't know if she knows who Jesus is. I don't know if she knows his compassion, but... I don't know, if I had done something or been caught in something or been set up for something and then was thrown in front of somebody with, you know, just maybe a title or authority, that would be pretty, pretty frightening. So I also wanted to talk about just 
um, some results of abuse that we may face in our own lives if we have been a victim of this or um, I'm going to read through quite a few of them and I'm sure there's probably more and then I'm really just going to focus on two of them but the first one I have is shame we're ashamed because of what happened to us Um, guilt because maybe for allowing it to happen or for being the one who maybe caused the abuse we may feel dishonor unworthy of the expectation of maybe our family or even just ourselves. Um, We actually might see a repeated or passed down behavior. It could be a cycle within our family. It could be something that started with the the grandfather and went down and maybe we aren't aware of it. Um, Depression, we can't see above the pain and life feels empty now. Addictions, this is what Pastor Aaron was talking about last week as we try to fill the empty space of the pain. Um, For a woman, there might be the results of pregnancy and abortion, especially if it's rape. And we might feel the need to, if we have the abortion, then everything will just go away and we can forget about it. Um, Mental health, we lose the ability to make rational decisions and can't get outside of our own thoughts, especially the, the abuse or of ourselves. The cycle of brokenness, we just continue in the pain. Um, victim mentality, everyone else must take care of me. I was the one abused. It's very self-focused. Um, emotional paralysis, we're unable to process the emotions or just process any emotions or have any feelings whatsoever. And fear that it could happen again. Something else might happen if we say something. There's lack of trust. We don't know who is safe and who is unsafe. There's a lack of identity. We lose sight of who we are and who God has called us to be. We can get bitter, we can be angry because we haven't forgiven. Or maybe we don't see that that person, justice is being served, so it'll eat at us. We can be angry. We can be angry at God. We can be angry at people. We can take it out on our loved ones. Um, Helplessness. We can't seem to talk about it. Uh, Who can help? Why did no one help? Um, Hopelessness. There is no hope. This one is kind of a huge thing, too, is unwanted soul ties. Um, and that is the, the bond and emotional ties um, that we have with people usually created. Um, a healthy one would be when a husband and wife first get married and uh, have sex, so there's healthy soul tie created, but sometimes uh, an unhealthy one that would be created is if, if you're raped and you keep having those thoughts and, and you can't seem to like get away from that person or those thoughts of that person or what happened to you. And then this is one that we kind of see that happens more often than not, and that is there's more protection for the perpetrator and the victim is minimized. And um, so we just need to be really careful with that one specifically too. We we tend to see the victim always gets a little more questioned and, and so. So the two that I really wanted to focus on out of all of those and more so because I've seen this in my own life, is um, the first one is fear. 
And I define it as the unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. And I wrote down some thoughts of fear. Um, and they are, if I tell, I will be hurt. If I tell, someone else will get hurt. If I say something, someone might not believe me. If I say something, it will bring shame and dishonor to the person who hurt me. Or if I say something, it will bring shame and dishonor upon myself. And fear has a way of just kind of paralyzing us to keeping us from say, not talking about it, not um, opening up about what has happened to us. And the other thing is shame. And shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the, un the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. We see this with Adam and Eve, right? They felt shame when they ate of the fruit of the garden and, and they hid and they made fig leaves. I love this quote from Max Licato. He says, we hide, he seeks. We bring sin, he brings sacrifice. We try fig leaves, he brings the robe of righteousness. I love that there's that exchange with the Lord. He's so good to, to just come in and, and cover us. Shame causes us to hide and fear paralyzes us. And like I said, I felt this in my own life. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I had something happen to me. And... I was unaware, or maybe it's by the grace of God that I don't remember this, but um, the person who did what they did told people. It was a bragging thing for them. And I remember just living with so much fear, so much guilt, so much shame. And, I mean, I was 10. I didn't, I didn't know how to process it. Um, so then when I was 13, my dad um, gave me a promise ring or a purity ring. And I remember him giving it to me on my 13th birthday. And I felt so shameful and it felt so fearful. Like I couldn't, I couldn't wear it. I couldn't put it on because of this thing that had happened. And I wrote this actually this week, but it just kind of, it's kind of, I guess, my thoughts on it. And this is it says, shame is a lie from the pit of hell. It tells you that you're unworthy, unloved, unseen, and unforgiven. It wraps you tightly in its clutches and coils around you like a snake, trying to choke every ounce of life left in you. Daily, it injects its venom like a shot of morphine, making you numb and lifeless to the world around you. It whispers sweet nothings of hopelessness and helplessness. But then the sunrise of redemption comes flooding in, blinding the shame and exposing its facade. The only hold shame had on you was the agreement you gave it when you believed its spiteful lies. But redemption, that's freedom. That's the wind beneath your wings flowing through your hair and rushing through your veins. It's the buyback from the clutches of death and destruction. It is the life raft extended and secured to the boat of grace and forgiveness. It's the breath of life exhaled by the creator and inhaled by us, his creation, his children, his sons and daughters, by you.
Let's go back to the adulterous woman. Starting in verse 6, it says, But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from your life of sin. You know, a lot of times, um, I've heard more so lately, the, just with the importance of Jesus writing in the dust, everybody wants to speculate, oh, it was probably the names of the accusers, or maybe it was all of their sins. But it's not really what Jesus wrote. It was that he was writing and that he was taking his time. Because what happened in those moments of Jesus' writing is it dampened the emotion of the accusers. Right? They're angry. They burst in. They shoved her in front of everybody. And then the other thing it did is it brought the focus on Jesus. See, it's amazing how he does that in our lives. You know, we're so sometimes so consumed by what's going on by us or in us and to us and everything. And, the, and Jesus says, I'm just, I'm going to take the focus right now. I love in Psalm 116.5, and this is the Passion Translation, it says, He was so kind, so gracious to me. Because of his passion toward me, he made everything right and he restored me. In the NIV, it says, the Lord is gracious and righteous, for God is full of compassion. I love that he's so full of compassion. I love that he sees us and his heart is for us. Multiple times we see that throughout scripture, that Jesus had compassion. I think something that often uh, gets overlooked in cases like this of uh, sexual abuse or rape is the broken heart of the father. And God tends to, to get blamed. We say, where was God? Why would he allow this to happen to me? He can't be loving if he let this happen. And those are lies. And I feel like the Lord just is saying, in order to start this conversation, we need to start asking, God, where were you in that moment? But the thing that is amazing is he's so kind and compassionate that he'll show us where he was in that moment. And oftentimes, it's where we least expect it. Oftentimes, it's in those moments where there was a sound that maybe scared off our uh, perpetrator. Or maybe it was something else. Um, in the books, the Sozo, which is by Donna DeSilver and Restoring Sexuality by Kathleen Steele Tolson, there's a process that they mention, that they talk about, that is very common. Actually, it wasn't even just in those two books, but it's just the process, that it is a process of healing. There are layers to this. There are so many different things. It's not just like 
snap your finger and it's done. No, there's, it's a process of trusting the Lord. And um, I just want to encourage you with this, that if, if something has happened to you and it is a process, please seek professional help. See a counselor. Don't walk through this or relive the abuse by yourself because God doesn't want that. He wants you to be set free, and you shouldn't have to relive those things. Um, the other question, too, if in starting conversation and just asking um, maybe the lie that you are believing, right? Because we may think, well, I can't say anything because maybe I was involved, or I can't say anything because I didn't cry out for help. So ask the Lord, like, what is the lie that I'm believing that is keeping me from being able to say something? Because, oh, another lie, too, might be the fact that God, God can't forgive this. And that's simply not true. None of us are beyond the redemption of God. We all have sinned. We all fall short. He wants to break the lies of shame, guilt, abandonment, unworthiness of being unloved. And he wants to bring you into his freedom. He wants you to experience life and to experience it more abundantly. And in order to do that, we have to forgive. When I was 14, I was at a youth conference. And um, mind you, this is now four years that I lived in the shame and the torment and relived it in my mind. And there was um, a message that one of the speakers uh, was talking about. I don't remember all of it. I just remember the fact that he challenged us. Will you let God be the one that you're yoked with? Will you give him your burden? And that was like the pivotal turning point for me was that I had to, I had to give forgiveness, but I had to give the burden of what I was carrying to the Lord. I had to receive his healing for me. And actually, as I was even thinking about this, I remember I had to I actually had to go up and say something in front of people, but I didn't say, like, what happened, just that I had to forgive somebody. And um, that was terrifying. <laughs> so, again, find somebody, a professional. <laughs> um, but in order for me to be free, I had to forgive that person because I just kept living with the torment. And actually, one of the reasons that I chose the adulterous woman was because we actually get to see her walk through the process of healing with Jesus. All the other, ones, all the other stories of, of rape and incest and all of that stuff of abuse, we just kind of see it play out. And, and not many times is the victim actually given a voice. And so I loved that in this moment that she got to have a voice. But she also had to forgive. In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, it talks about the servant who had been given much, but then didn't forgive back. And he was handed over to the tormentors. In her book, Restoring Sexuality, Kathleen Steele Tolleson says, Our Heavenly Father will turn us over to the tormentors if we do not forgive people from our heart. Not just from our head, not just from our obedience, but from our heart. We may start forgiving out of obedience, but then we must allow God to work it into our hearts. To receive his forgiveness, we must forgive others. And I loved this. Um, in her article titled, Neither Do I, Michelle Van Loon of In Touch Ministries challenges us with this thought about forgiveness and what the adulterous woman would have had to have lived out. And she says, consider this. 
Every time she heard her neighbor's whispers, she would have to forgive them out of the overflow of the second chance she'd been, been granted by Jesus. Every time she passed one of her accusers in the street, she would have to drop the stones she might have been tempted to lob. Every time she heard the name of the man with whom she'd be linked in adultery, she would have to embrace the mercy she received. Every time she saw her own past reflected back to her in a mirror, she would remember she'd been given life by the one who knew exactly who she really was. She could have easily played the victim, right? Even though she was the one who originally was in the wrong, supposedly, right? She could have easily like, oh, well, they threw me in front of these. And, but Jesus said, no. I forgive you, so you have to forgive. I loved it, actually, that um, this week that we read about forgiveness in First John and also just living with sin, right? When it's exposed, it needs to be exposed so that we can ask for forgiveness and we can ask for healing. And this is the same type of thing. These things need to be exposed so that we can be set free so that we don't have to live with the guilt and the shame. Um, I was fortunate because 25 years after all of this happened, the person who... Um, who did what they did and bragged about what they did actually contacted me and asked for forgiveness. And they confessed of telling people and all of that stuff. And because I had already released them to the Lord and released forgiveness, it was so easy to tell them, I forgive you. Because I know that I had been forgiven shown forgiveness from the Lord. And I knew that I didn't have to live with that anymore. I knew that had I carried that into my life, that things would have turned out differently for me. Because only four years, <laughs> torment, shame, guilt, all those things. And I understand that and realize that not everybody has this opportunity to receive an apology but it's still our responsibility to forgive because we have been forgiven. It's what God's word says. I also want to say this too. It's not, um, it doesn't mean that we need to face our abuser either. It's simply just releasing them to the Lord. Because Jesus stepped in for this woman and shows us an example of how he took on the attention and he forgave. When he walks into the room, when he bends down and writes in the sand to forgive us, this is what he brings. He brings freedom from all the guilt and shame. He brings healing to our minds, our hearts, our bodies. He brings wholeness to our minds and our hearts and our souls. He brings restoration to relationships. He brings hope. We now have a future. He brings love. His love surrounds us. 
brings us peace. No longer are we stuck in the torment of fear. He brings us joy. We can rejoice in the freedom that we have. He brings trust. He shows us not only that we can trust him, but he gives us discernment for who we can trust. He brings identity. He restores us and shows us that we know who we are and who he's created us to be. He restores our purpose because now we know why we're created. He brings forgiveness because we have been forgiven. We can forgive and live in the light. He brings honor. No longer do we live with our heads hung low. He brings a renewing of the mind. We are able to make sound decisions and think on other things besides our abuse and ourselves. He brings redemption. He paid the buyback price for us through the cross. And he brings life. We can live each day as it was intended. I felt like it was important to... um, say this, um, that because there are layers of healing, there's, there's healing not only for the abused, there's healing for the accuser, and there's healing for the family or the friend of the abused who felt helpless. None of us are beyond healing. None of us are beyond the redemption of the Lord. And sometimes when something happens, we we push it back and we don't want to, to go there, but the Lord is so kind. He's not going to give us something that we can't handle. When he brings healing, he's going to be kind to do it in layers instead of all at once. That would be so overwhelming. <laughs> but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to take it bit by bit and bring healing to our hearts. Um, the worship team can come back up. Uh, I also wanted to include, there's some resources if... Something has happened to you. We have Dr. Val Wilman, and then there's also the County of Kauai um, Sexual Abuse Hotline, which is also the same as the YWCA 24-Hour Crisis Line. So if, if something has happened, I encourage you to say something. Don't let it eat at you any longer. Don't let it live, cause you to live in shame and guilt and fear. but allow the Lord to bring healing into your life. Um, I'm going to have us all stand, and I'm going to just pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask that you just repeat it after me. And then we're going to just worship after this. Lord God, you have seen my past, You see my present, and you go before me in my future. You know everything about me, everything that has been done to me, and everything that has been done by me. You have seen me in the darkest of hours. I pray that in your kindness, As I open my heart to you, 
that you would begin to pull back the layers and bring healing and wholeness to my life. Help me to forgive those who have harmed and abused me. Help me to start with a step of obedience to your word. As you have forgiven me, let me forgive. Let it go from my head and deep into my heart so that I may experience true freedom in you. Remove any guilt, shame, fear, or any other result of this abuse. Show me where you were when this took place. And forgive me if I blamed you in the process. Renew my mind, my heart, and my soul. Give me boldness and courage to find help in this journey of healing. Thank you for loving me so much. Amen.